0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse source, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health, to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more. So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey.
1: Welcome to Horsing Around on PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to talk about nutrition, what you need to feed your horse, how much, and all that good stuff. Horse nutrition is a mystery to lots of horse owners, we just can't go out and buy a can of nutritionally complete food for our horses the way we do for our cats and dogs. Feeding our horses properly requires some research and knowledge. Today we're going to discover the basics of horse nutrition, what horses need to eat and why, how important hay is in the diet what kinds of hay to feed, and whether or not horses need grain or supplements. My guest, Judy Sinner, will shed light on the subject for us. Judy's a lifetime horsewoman and has owned, bred, trained, and exhibited horses. She's affiliated with Dynamite Specialty Products for 25 years and teaches holistic nutrition for all species in seminars and newsletters. We'll talk to Judy right after these messages.
0: Why the long Face! I reckon horsin' around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail, so park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet.
1: Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and we are here with equine nutrition specialist, Judy Sinner. Judy, welcome to the show. Hi, Audrey. Thanks. Hi. Um, Let's start at the beginning on the subject of horse nutrition. What is the single most important aspect to the horse's diet?
2: Let's start with the absolute obvious in that they have to have hay. That's really the staple of their diet. And I think a lot of people try to feed grains, supplements, all kinds of exotic things, and they forget that unless they're feeding really top-quality hay, they're kind of really missing the boat. And I realize, especially right now with the hay shortages around the country, that um, oftentimes it's difficult to find really good horse hay. But you need to leave no stone unturned because that really is the cornerstone of the diet. And if we remember that we go back to basic physiology, that the horse is a grazing animal. And so much of the nutritional information that's been taught at the university level for years was kind of extrapolated from the hog and cattle industry. And they kind of forget that horses aren't cows. And horses don't need high protein, they can't handle high sugar, um, they don't need a lot of carbohydrates, they basically need just really good top quality forage. So a lot of people are under the impression that alfalfa hay is a good horse feed, and we like to look at alfalfa as being more of an herbal supplement than as the total ration. Anything more than about 10% alfalfa in the total hay ration is probably too high, and some horses can't even handle that. So, what I advise people to do is find a top quality grass hay and understand that grass is very incredibly in their composition. A lot of people think that grass is grass, and that couldn't really be farther from the truth. So... The best thing to find, if you can, is like a timothy or an orchard grass, um, sometimes a brome hay. Um, the ones I really like to stay away from, if possible, are uh, the fescue and the rye, which can be very high in sugar, and some horses can handle that. If they're working hard or if they don't have any tendency toward being insulin resistant or laminitic, then they can handle the fescue or the rye, but... Um, Those can be just leaded for some horses. So I also like to advise people to stay away from the grain hays, which are like oat hay, um, barley hay, because they actually aren't a true grass. They're a grain, and by the time they cut them for hay, they've let them head out into the milk stage for higher tonnage. So you're actually feeding just a big old snootful of immature grain along with the, the grass. So those can be um, really inappropriate for horses, generally speaking. What I like to tell people is that animals, or horses in particular, need to have the gut moving 24-7. So people really need to learn to free-choice the hay. And a lot of people freak out and say, oh my gosh, my horse will just be a blimp, they'll be so fat, but they really suffer a lot of emotional and physical distress if they don't have something moving through their gut all the time. So once they learn that they always have food, they won't eat themselves silly. They will kind of just nibble and go do something else and come back and nibble.
1: I guess another option there, too, is I have a horse that, I mean, I've t- I tried that with him. He's a Spanish Mustang, and he just put on weight so quickly. Um, what I started to do was just break up the feedings, so that I didn't give him free-choice hay, but I I broke his feedings up into several smaller feedings. Is that an option, too?
2: That is a great option, and I think if you aren't going to free-choice the hay, then feed like a minimum of three times a day or even four if you can. Mm -hmm. I realize that people that work away from home can't always do a lunch, but um, if you do have help or if you do work at home so that you have that option, Um, It's not a bad idea even to go out just before bed and fling another flake at the horses at 10 o'clock or so at night. So the biggest thing is keep the gut moving as much as possible. And what I've found, too, if the horses are eating appropriate hay, meaning appropriate sugar, starch content for their physiology, they won't get fat on free choice hay as long as they have a good mineral balance in their system, because all animals eat for mineral cravings. So if they don't have the food cravings, they're just not as hungry, and we'll hopefully kind of touch on minerals in a little bit. But um, finding that balance of appropriate hay, appropriate minerals, so that the horses don't think they're starving. Mm-hmm. And occasionally you'll find a horse that's maybe a rescue or has, Ben low horse on the totem pole in a herd, and they can have some real food issues, (laughs) some real anxiety around when's the next meal coming, and sometimes that's a little difficult to deal with, so breaking it up into just smaller meals is an excellent way to go. Just making sure they have at least one and a half, maybe even up to two percent of their body weight in total weight of hay um, throughout the day. And that would be for a 1,000-pound horse, they're going to need approximately 20 pounds of hay. You'd be amazed how many people don't have any idea how much a flake of hay weighs, and that, that of course, varies from bale to bale and hay type. So I advise people just get a big old kitchen scale and weigh your hay and feed it by weight rather than by volume, and that way you're more sure. And it makes it easier if somebody has to feed for you, too, like... A lot of women take off to horse shows and the husband is taking care of the horses at home. It's easier to say five pounds of hay four times a day than to try to just tell them how much flake wise
1: Right, right. I know with my hay, the, the bales, you know, one bale will have, I need three flakes to make up one flake in, an, in another bale. You know, exactly. there's no consistency to it. And it does give my husband a headache, because he's like, how much am I supposed to give him? Like, you told me once, <laughs> like, you know, three days ago, now you want me to give him two? So, yeah, the, the scale would definitely come in handy at my house. Yeah, um,
2: it's a little bit AR, but it does help, so. Right, right.
1: So, my understanding of wild horse behavior is that horses will eat in the wild um, pretty much all the time, up to 18 hours a day, I've been told. So how, when you translate that into a domestic situation, if they have free choice hay, won't they just eat constantly, whether they're hungry or not? Isn't that their instinct? Um,
2: Yes and no. What I've found is if, as I said, they are balanced, and the thing we forget in nature, they can go out and forage for other things, too. Um, Plus, they're having to kind of work for their hay. So what some people do is they have a large enough area, they'll just scatter hay all over the paddock. They'll put a a flake in this corner, a flake in that corner. I know some people even make an actual track out in their pasture with hot wire so that the horses are constantly moving from one hay pile to another. If you've got a horse in a stall or a small paddock, obviously it's more of an issue. But I think, again, once they're balanced out, they have things to do to prevent boredom, things to look at, um, activities to do, maybe a buddy and they know that the hay is going to be there. What I observe with mine is they'll eat for a while and then they'll just go wander off and take a nap or do this or that. And they're just kind of grazing until it's time for the next meal. And I don't <laughs> ever put out so much hay that they're peeing on it and making nests and wasting it. You know, they're, I put it either in a feeder, which isn't totally ideal. Um, it's best for them to eat at ground level. But if it's muddy in the wintertime or that, I usually use a feeder and I just make sure that there're only maybe a couple hours at the most between times that they have access to the food and they they don't stuff themselves they just kind of wander around so
1: I have uh, actually I found a way to have a feeder and have them eat at ground level I found these big huge rubber tubs at the feed store, big giant black rubber tubs, and I put the hay in there, and so it's like they're eating it off the ground, but it's it's contained in this tub, so that's a, a way around that feeder issue. Yep. Those
2: work really well, too, and the one caution there is sometimes there's dust and things in the hay, and you can get like a layer of sand and gunk in the bottom, so you want to make sure that you're periodically upending any kind of feeder or cleaning it out so that they're right. not ingesting any extra stuff. Some people put right. um, stall mats on the ground and feed on that. But,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I've tried to that.
2: As, yeah, as close to nature as possible is what we're trying to mimic here. Right. And, uh, it, it's interesting. Um, one horse that I have, a colt that he's not a colt anymore, but um, he's been raised from birth on absolutely free choice hay, and he just nibbles and wanders off and nibbles and wanders off. He doesn't have any of the anxiety issues because he's never been without hay ever in his life. Mm -hmm. And so I think also if you can start them out that way, or just if you have one that's a pig, just start gradually increasing the amounts of hay per feeding till you get through their head that there is going to be more.
1: Yeah, I, I have a, a horse that's a like I mentioned, he's a Spanish Mustang, and they're notorious for being able to live on very little forage. And the problem is, you know, free choice he was just putting on so much weight just I mean, it was just ridiculous. So I know people with real easy keepers may have to, it in increments rather than just letting them have it.
2: When you do have a fatty like that, what a lot of people tend to do is try to starve the horse down and one of my good friends is an MD back in New Hampshire and she commented to me one day, she said you know, that doesn't work with people and it especially doesn't work with horses because all that you're doing is shutting the metabolism down right. and especially with horses especially of those breeds they're hardwired to shut down in times of feed scarcity. That's how they made it through the winters in the wild, mm-hmm, right? And so the horses we have now are the survivors that are kind of like the air fern. <laughs> so uh-huh. the less the less you feed them, the more the metabolism shuts down, and you just make it worse. And they right. just
1: get fatter and fatter and right, hungrier, crankier. Right, and right, so. right. Yeah, it's it's a fine line there when you know. But um, I wanted to ask you too why hay is so important um i I know there's some people who do certain types of training especially halter uh, fitting horses for halter where they feed a lot more grain than they do hay and you know they feel that that works i've it seems to me that it's it's not natural to the horse why is it so important that they have so much roughage
2: The biggest thing is the gut has to be kept moving, and if they, I think the bare minimum of forage or roughage that they can get by on safely would be like 1%, and that's pushing it. That would be 10 pounds of hay a day for a 1,000-pound horse, which is pretty much two eeny little flakes. But having done halter a lot myself in the past as well, I know what people are trying to do is keep the hay belly off Mm-hmm. But in my experience, if they're digesting well, if their teeth are done regularly, if you're feeding a good probiotic or prebiotic so that they're really breaking down that roughage and obviously you're keeping them fit, they really don't get the big blimpy belly. Right. So I think those are some important things to consider. But just for their emotional health as well, if you go to a lot of the halter barns, They get a little flake at 7 in the morning and a little flake at 5 in the afternoon. They're done eating in half an hour, and they're just nut jobs because they're hungry, they're bored, their stomach's hurt. Um, Free-choice grass hay is one of the best ways to prevent ulcers, which is Mm -hmm. a huge epidemic in the equine population now. So I would say colic and ulcer prevention would be the two main reasons to feed, again, the free-choice hay.
1: Okay. Um, Judy, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about supplements.
0: Why the long face? (laughs) I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner.
1: (laughs) Zeus, that's not your food.
2: purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on
0: PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet.
1: Hi, welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and we're here with equine nutrition specialist, Judy Sinner. Um, Judy, how do you know if your horse needs supplements?
2: There are a lot of things that become obvious once you're tuned into looking for them. Um, One thing that horses will exhibit if they're lacking certain minerals is they'll start to do destructive things like eating the fences. You'll see them out digging in their paddocks and eating dirt. You'll see um, them start to eat each other's manes and tails, especially the babies will very often butch off the mom's tails. In fact, I call that the badge of the brood mare because very often you see mares with tails above their hocks. If they have babies every year, they never get a chance to grow them back. So horses are very adept at finding minerals where they need them, and that might be a place that you don't appreciate them finding the minerals. Like if they're eating the fence, uh, most fences are pine, and pine is very high in phosphorus. Mm. So... Just to give you an example of how creative they can be if they're out of balance, I worked with a mare in California a few years ago, a really nice Andalusian mare, that every morning when they turned her out, they let her out of her stall, and she'd have hay and grain in the stall. She'd run outside, dig a hole in her paddock, and just eat huge mouthfuls of dirt. And she did this to the point that she'd had two colic surgeries because she would literally clog herself up. Wow. And the gal was just at her wit's end, and I finally said, tell me about your water. And she said, oh, the water's fine. We have a water softener in the barn. to mm-hmm. Which I replied, oh, yikes, unhook it now. And she did, and the mare never ate dirt again. Yeah. So she was getting flooded with the sodium from the water softener salt. And she was so out of whack that the only way she could remotely balance was to eat dirt, obviously to her detriment. So Mm -hmm. they do have very strong instincts. Um, Some of the mineral deficiencies will exhibit in very specific ways. Uh, Magnesium is a very common deficiency, and that exhibits as ADD-type behavior, nervousness, tight muscles tying up, um, the polysaccharide storage myopathy, being crabby and belligerent, especially mares who are kind of tight and twitchy. You put a leg on some mares and their tail instantly swishes. Uh And if they have adequate magnesium, they're just kind of like contented happy cows because um, estrogen, higher estrogen will actually tie up and suppress magnesium. So um, another common deficiency is copper you'll see fading in the dark or the black horses, like um, black horses that don't stay true blue-black but get the bronzy-brown highlights or that fade in the sun.
0: Uh-huh. And believe mm-hmm. it or not,
2: if you have a black horse and it fades in the sun, it's a copper-deficient horse because you can feed adequate copper, turn that horse out in the sun, and they'll stay just coal black. Um, wow. Hair that, that frizzies or fish hooks at the ends is usually a sign of copper deficiency as well. Copper is also really important in parasite resistance, so you'll see a lot of parasite problems. And The really interesting thing is traveling a lot like I do, we see anomalies in different parts of the country that kind of coincide with the different problems, like pretty much the whole east coast from Florida north is very high in iron, And, like, you hear the songs about the red Georgia clay and all that. It's really true. If you're driving through Georgia, the ground is just brick red, and that's high iron. And all the horses on the East Coast are very deficient in copper. Uh
1: So they
2: have way more parasite issues, way more issues with the coats fading and bleaching. So it gets to be kind of like... Sometimes unraveling the puzzle to figure out what minerals deficient or out of balance because that affects all the other minerals as well.
1: So before everyone runs out and starts like dosing their horses with tons of copper, how can <laughs> you? Uh, which can can lead to other problems. Um, how can you determine what your horse needs and what is the right type of supplement to give them?
2: The best place I think to start is just with a low optimum very balanced supplement, you don't ever want to go in with just one or two things because you can very quickly upset the apple cart and trying to do like a home brew, like a lot of people will get a book and start supplementing with this mineral or that mineral and they'll forget about a balanced profile. So we always start with a balanced supplement. It should have basically every macro Element in it as well as a full spectrum of the trace minerals. And what I've observed in 26 years of, of working with nutrition at this level is originally people weren't convinced they needed supplements at all. And now everybody is feeding everything but the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. So, and we've just had all these supplement companies pop up that are promoting their horse supplement as being the absolute answer. So now I'm more apt to see people that are feeding too many things and forgetting about just a good basic balance. So that's where I would caution people to start is find a reputable company, ideally one that's been around for a while, that has um, the success stories to back up what they're doing, that has the knowledge and information to back up what they're selling, and talk to your friends, find out who's using what and what's working for them because You can argue opinions and philosophies and formulas all day, but the truth of any product is in the results that it's getting. So, And you'll often find that if you see something advertised a lot in the magazines, you've got to remember how expensive the ads are. So a lot of the good supplements are kind of best-kept secrets if you ask around what some of the top people are using it might be something that's even a little bit hard to find because the money is going into the product rather than into advertising and promotion.
1: Right. How about relying on your veterinarian for advice on this? I've had veterinarians tell me well, as long as you're giving them good quality hay, they don't need supplements. I've had others say you should give them supplements. How can you can you fall back on your vet's advice?
2: Sometimes you can and sometimes it's really kind of scary. understanding, I I have a lot of friends who are vets and I have very high regard and respect for vets, don't get me wrong at all. My father is a doctor and his comment to me was, they don't teach us nutrition in medical school. Mm -hmm. They, They told us, make sure your patients eat a balanced diet, follow the food pyramid. And that's basically what happens in vet school. One of my vet friends said, we have about four hours on nutrition and that's basically maybe the sales rep for one of the major companies coming in for each species and basically Mm -hmm. telling us, feed our product, we do the research, and it's in the bag.
1: Right, Um, and then then here you get a discount when you buy it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Get the students, hook them in early.
2: (laughs) If it's sold through the vets, you might want to be a little bit suspicious because there's a lot of times a link there. A gal called me one day that had a phone with epiphysitis, and her vet had said, you need to get it on a good vitamin mineral supplement. So she said, well, what's a good one? And he thought for a minute and said, well, I don't know, just go to the feed store and read labels and just buy whatever's got the most stuff in it.
1: Mm. And that was
2: that was literally his comment to her. So okay. I thought, oh, yikes, okay. So yeah. you can't always rely on the vets unless they've, after they graduated from vet school, have specialized in nutrition and taken continuing ed and done their own research they very often aren't the best resources. As wacky as that sounds.
1: Well, and there's also issues with quality control um, as far as supplements. You know, there's no FDA oversight, so you don't really know the quality of what's in them. And it, there's, it's not like human vitamins where there's, or f- even food where we have labels that the government makes the manufacturer put on there with vitamin information. So that makes it tricky as well, which I think is why the word-of-mouth thing is so important when it comes to supplements. Well, it is,
2: and and we've now got the National um, Association of Supplement Companies, which is kind of trying to level the playing field. So that's a good thing. They actually do audits of the companies who are members and make sure that what you say is in the bucket is in the bucket. The other thing a lot of people don't realize is that not all mineral forms are created equal. Um, If you're reading a label and you see a whole list of minerals in there, that's one thing, but the form that the minerals are in is really important. And in order of digestibility, the amino acid chelated minerals have a smaller molecular weight and a smaller size, so they're more easily uh, able to penetrate through the intestinal mucosa and actually get into the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And the sulfates are a little more digestible, but not as much. The carbonates are even less digestible than the sulfates, and the oxides are basically pretty much indigestible. And if you think back to high school chemistry, iron oxide is purely rust, and yet you'll see supplements that contain iron oxide as the iron form. You might as well let your horse suck on a rusty nail for all the (laughs) the iron that he's going to get. Yeah. Not only that, but the indigestible minerals can actually complex with other minerals of an opposite electrical charge. So if you feed inorganic iron and inorganic phosphorus, you get iron phosphate, and that all ends up in the manure pile and doesn't benefit your horse at all. So Mm
1: -hmm.
2: the cheaper supplements are better probably just dumped directly onto the manure pile, or just save your money because your horse is not getting any good from them, and it might even be doing some harm. So
1: Yeah, okay. Now what about um, salt blocks? What's your feeling on that? I'm not a salt block
2: fan for a couple of different reasons. Um, if you've ever been licked by a cow, you know how rough their tongues are. It'll just mm-hmm. like wipe the skin right off your hand, and horses have a slippery tongue like a dog. So they mm-hmm. have a lot of trouble getting enough salt off a salt block, Mm -hmm. especially when we take the salt block and we stick it in one of those little spiffy holders up on the wall so he not only has to lick to get the salt, he has to crank his neck around to do it in an uncomfortable position. So most of the time they can't get the salt they need from a salt block. Um, If you ever see teeth marks in a salt block, you're in trouble because that means the horse is tired of licking or can't get enough salt. But even more than that, I'm really a fan of natural salt, and I know Horse Journal just came out with a big article saying natural salt's a waste of money, you're paying way more money, and it's just dirty salt, and etc., but the problem is that in nature, sodium chloride is never found without a full complement of other minerals, even if it's only 1% to 2% total of the mix. It's always found with other minerals, and the, the salt licks, the natural salt licks out in nature. Um, the second thing is that even if there is some clay and quote dirt unquote in the salt, horses will eat that in the wild to a certain extent. Um, if they're heavily parasitized, they'll actually eat clay because it does have a very strong paramagnetic charge, and the parasites are diamagnetic, which is getting into another whole radio show probably. Mm -hmm. But there are some benefits to them eating some of these natural deposits, even if they contain what looks like dirt. My other beef with the salt blocks is, in order to get the salt to hang together, they have to add molasses or binders, which is usually molasses. So you don't know if the horse is needing salt or just likes the taste of the molasses in the binder in the salt block. And usually they also add other inorganic minerals as well, like the selenium salt blocks or a mineral salt block. A lot of people will say, well, I don't need to feed my horse a supplement because I use a mineral salt block. Well, again, we're getting into usually the oxide carbonate forms of the minerals not necessarily a full spectrum of vitamins and minerals um, and binders and all of that so Mm -hmm. natural salt loose form free choice never forced
1: and Mm -hmm. i know a lot
2: of people will grab salt and fling it in the feed in the winter to keep the horse drinking well basically you're just dehydrating him and especially if you use white table salt like you find in the restaurants And if you have any sense, you won't eat, you know, the the iodized, adulterated salt either. (laughs) It's had aluminum silicate added to it, which is basically a desiccant to keep salt from absorbing water. But what people forget is the function of salt in the body is to absorb water. Mm -hmm. So we've just neutralized it and made it a poison. Um, Aluminum silicate is like those little packets that come in your vitamin bottles that says do not eat. Right. So... Natural salt, loose, um, free choice, again, don't just throw it in with the feed. And some horses never touch salt. Other horses just eat goo gobs of it. So it's a very individual appetite, and in my observation, it's really accurate. Right. Um, the only time I've ever seen horses really overdo salt is if they're on, like, a lot of alfalfa, which is very high in potassium, they're simply trying to balance their sodium-potassium ratio by eating more salt. So Mm -hmm. they always have a reason for what they do, and our challenge is to figure out why they're doing it and how we can help them get better balance.
1: Well, that's all the time we have for today. This has been really enlightening, Judy. I really appreciate you coming on, being my guest this week, and sharing all your knowledge with us. And uh, you're welcome. And if anyone out there... Any questions or comments about horsing around, please email me at audrey at petliferadio.com. Until then, happy trails. Stop
0: what you're doing and start horsing around. Every week on Pet Life Radio. Horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' galloping good time every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>